This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. We're taking a break from our normal sermon series to concentrate on Christmas. Christmas has become a colossal event, triggering billions of dollars in sales, extraordinary decorations, and holiday festivities of every kind. But the real purpose of Christmas is to celebrate the greatest gift ever given. God came to dwell with his people. We call this the incarnation of Christ, and it reveals four of God's incredible attributes among many. Let's take just a few moments to ponder what Emmanuel, God with us, really means. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's Christmas message from Pastor Pierre. 2,000 years ago, some shepherds were in Bethlehem. They witnessed the glory of the Lord shining around them which caused them great fear, the Bible tells us. But an angel appeared to them and said, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. And the good news, church, was that God was going to visit humankind in flesh and blood. That's what the word incarnation means. So we hear that word a lot during this season. It literally means to become flesh. So when we're talking about the incarnation of Christ, we are talking about the event That changed the world 2,000 years ago when God visited humankind here in the person of his son. And we celebrate that every December the 25th. And when the word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us, we are told in the prologue of the gospel of John, the birth of our Savior. Now, we need to know that the birth of our Savior did not indicate the time in history when Jesus started to exist Many people get that confused. Jesus has always existed in eternity past and will continue to exist into eternity future. There was never a day when Jesus was not. He has always existed. In fact, the triune God has always existed. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, they have always existed. It's a God three in one, three persons distinct from one another, and yet they all share the same essence of divinity and Christ being the son and what it means to be the son of God means to be God the son the one who came here to uh, become flesh in order to save undeserving sinners and the Bible says in Galatians 4 verse 4 that this took place in the fullness of time which means God had this all planned out the cross wasn't plan b the incarnation of Christ wasn't oops from God saying I have to go down there and save people because man they threw me a curveball That is not the case. The incarnation of Jesus Christ has always been in the mind of God. It had to take place sometime in history. And we were told that this took place in the fullness of time. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, Galatians 4, 4 tells us. But what does that event mean for us? I thought I'd point out to you four attributes of God evident in the incarnation of Christ and the implication of those attributes for us. First of all, I want you to see that the incarnation of Christ demonstrates to us that God is faithful. In other words, we can say that the incarnation of Christ proves God's faithfulness yet once again. And what I mean by God is faithful is that everything he says comes to pass. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change at all. You and I change. You and I need to learn things. God doesn't learn anything. He already knows all things and he doesn't change. So he is always faithful. It means whatever he says will come to pass. 
Now, after Satan deceived a woman into eating the forbidden fruit, you know the story from Genesis 3, God pronounced curses on humanity and on the ground, and therefore we exist in a cursed universe. We learned this not too long ago. In fact, we confirmed this when we studied Matthew 18, when Jesus says, Woe to the world for its stumbling blocks. It's referring to the fact that we exist in the world that is fallen. We have decided through our patriarch Adam to live apart from God. And the result of that, the curses that got placed on humanity and on the ground. For example, in Genesis 3 verse 15, he says this to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. So that church is the very prophecy that's in Genesis 3.15, the very first prophecy of Jesus Christ in the Bible. So we don't have to wait until we get to the Gospels to read about Jesus Christ. This is in the beginning. In the third chapter here of the book, we read about a descendant of a woman who would come and bruise the serpent on the head, referring to a fatal blow. And this prophecy then foretells the cross when Satan bruised Jesus on the heel. It was a painful crucifixion, but then he would rise again and defeat Satan forever. And notice that the identity of this man, this descendant, he would have to be fully human. And so when we have the incarnation of Christ, God becoming one of us, we have someone who is fully human in the full sense of the word. Jesus is completely human, completely divine at the same time. Not 50-50, not a hybrid. He is fully man, fully God. And he came to destroy the work of Satan. In fact, we can use this term, he defanged Satan, to quote from the author of Hebrews. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. So the author of Hebrews explains to us one of the reasons for the incarnation is that Jesus would come and fulfill that very prophecy here in Genesis 3.15 that we read, stomping on the head of the serpent, a fatal blow to Satan. John confirms, he says, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3 verse 8, to fulfill that prophecy, to show us that God is faithful. Everything he promises comes to pass. And Paul agrees. He says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55. So church, we understand from the prophecies and these passages in the New Testament that God never leaves anything unfulfilled. But here's another evidence of God's faithfulness in the incarnation of Christ. From the pen of Isaiah, we learn that the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 7 verse 14. And that means God with us. The virgin will conceive and shall have a son. Now church, the reason why this had to happen is because you and I have a sinful nature that we inherited from our parents. Sin has passed from generation to generation since that day in the garden from Adam. Everyone therefore, whoever existed and exists today is contaminated by sin. We can use that term. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the Bible says. But not so with Jesus Christ. God bypassed natural conception and by the power of the Holy Spirit caused Mary to be pregnant. Now you and I are conceived by natural means. 
The conception of Jesus Christ happened by miraculous means for the purpose of Jesus Christ not inheriting the sin nature of his biological mother and therefore being completely sinless and qualifying to be the Savior of the world because he's God the Son, the Son of God. He's the descendant of a woman promised in Genesis 3.15. And he embodies in his person the fullness of divine faithfulness came to earth to fulfill the divine promises for your benefit and mine. So that's one divine attribute that we are reminded of when we think and we wonder about the incarnation of Christ. Divine faithfulness. Here's the second one I want you to see. is God is compassionate. And that is very clear in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Every Christmas we are reminded of the compassion of God towards undeserving sinners like you and me which means he withholds from us what we deserve, which is judgment. And he gives us what we do not deserve, which is heaven, eternal life. Those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus Christ. Now, according to the Bible, God has established that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That is in Hebrews 9, verse 22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Now, God has established this from eternity past, and he shed the blood of a substitute to provide the garments of skin to Adam and Eve, to cover them from their guilt. You remember that story from Genesis 3, verse 20. They have sinned against God. They were found out. God asked them. He didn't need information from Adam when he says, Adam, what are you doing? And I'm paraphrasing. He was calling Adam to account. And they sowed fig leaves to cover their shame and their guilt. Possibly the reason they wanted to cover their reproductive organs is because somehow they knew that from that point on, all humanity would be contaminated by sin. But what they have done represents human effort. They thought maybe they could cover up for their own guilt and shame and sin by their own efforts. But God stepped in and said, no, no, no. Someone needs to die for you to be covered properly for your sin. And therefore, we read about the first death in the universe. In that story, when God killed an animal and fashioned for them garments of skin, demonstrating that there needs to be a substitute in order for sin to be atoned for, because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And he did this because according to Leviticus 17, verse 11, we're told that the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. So church, when we read in the first five books of the Bible, all of those sacrifices, we are looking at a prefigure of that great sacrifice that took place on the cross. All of those sacrifices in ancient Israel prefigured the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, the perfect substitute for you and for me. And he had to come and have real blood in order for that to happen because you can't shed blood from a ghost, from a spirit. So Jesus Christ had to be fully human in order to have real blood, perfect blood, sinless blood. So he had to be sacrificed for your behalf and for mine. And if you place your trust in him, you will inherit eternal life, the Bible says. His human blood identifies him with you and me. His sinless life provides a perfect and satisfactory payment for our sins. And I want to point out to you four aspects of divine compassion that we see in Christ. Now that we know The reason for his coming here, not only to show us that God is faithful and fulfilling every promise he makes, but now we learn that God is compassionate by providing the perfect sacrifice because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And your blood and my blood doesn't count because we are imperfect. We are sinful. We need, therefore, a substitute who is sinless. 
So let me point out to you four aspects of the compassion of God here that we see in the person of Christ. First of all, Jesus saves. doesn't get any simpler than that. Jesus saves. We are told in John 3.16, For the Father sent the Son to bring eternal life, because He loved the world so much that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And Christ Himself said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 10.10 He came to give eternal life to whoever believes in Him. Whoever will grab hold of that sacrifice by grace through faith. And in John 12.46 we're told that Jesus from the mouth of Christ, He says, I have come as light into the world, so everyone who believes in Me will not remain in darkness. That is the compassion of God. God provided a substitute for you and for me so that we can have eternal life, not by our own efforts, because our own efforts don't count, at least for uh, salvation purposes. And therefore, he provided a sacrifice who will bring us light. And because Jesus is the light of the world, he says, I am the light of the world. And later on, he tells his disciples, you are the light of the world. Because he is the light, we are also the light of the world. And now Paul elaborates this whole thing about the salvific purpose of Jesus Christ coming to earth when he says it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. You see, the purpose of Christ coming to the earth, the purpose of the incarnation is for sinners to be saved because otherwise we could not save ourselves. And Paul is placing himself here at the top of the list as far as sinfulness, saying I am foremost of all. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So my friend, if you qualify as a sinner, and believe me, you are a sinner, and therefore we all need salvation. But we can't accomplish it on our own. We have to look for that substitute. And Jesus Christ is that substitute because he saves. And that's divine compassion. But also, not only does Jesus save, he seeks. He calls sinners to repent. He says, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Mark 2 verse 17. And driven by divine compassion, Jesus seeks and searches for the lost. He says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Luke 19 verse 10. And he further clarifies the purpose of his coming to the earth here, the incarnation. I must preach the kingdom of God, he says, to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. He came to preach good news and to tell everybody that He is the only way to the Father. And therefore, because everybody is a sinner here, the only one way to be made right with the Father is by coming to faith in the Son. And that's the purpose of His incarnation. He says, for this is the very purpose I came. John 6, verse 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. So that's the will of the Father that you will hear the good news of the gospel. And Jesus came to do that, to proclaim the kingdom, to proclaim that salvation is available in him alone. And then he commissioned his disciples to do the same, the first generation of disciples, and then the second generation of disciples, all the way down to you and me. And my purpose and your purpose today, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, is to perpetuate that process and announce to the whole world that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus saves, Jesus seeks, but I want you to see also that Jesus serves. That's the purpose he came, to serve. He clarifies that and when he says in Mark 10, verse 45. By the way, that's the key verse in that whole book, book of Mark. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
So Jesus Christ came to serve. And if we are called to be imitators of Christ, like Paul says we are to be, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, he says, Be my imitators as I am an imitator of Christ. We are to do the same thing. We are to serve others because the Son of Man came to serve. And the incarnation of Jesus Christ demonstrates divine compassion by the fact that Jesus embodies true servanthood. That doesn't come natural for you and for me. We desire to be served. Our impulse is not to serve first, but to be served. But if we look at the life of Christ and the compassion of the Father demonstrated through Him and in His own words, I came not to be served, but to serve and to lay down my life. So church, we should do the same. We lay down our desires. We lay down our preferences for the sake of others. We consider others more important than us, Philippians 2 verse 3, because that is Christ's likeness. That is, we are honoring the purpose of the incarnation of Christ. He came to demonstrate true servanthood, and he did it by laying down his life. He says in John 10 verse 15, I lay down my life for my sheep. And Paul confirms and instructs, have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. So here it is, the first Christmas. Jesus Christ, who existed from eternity past, in the fullness of deity, he shared every attribute with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. He came and became human Made in the likeness of men, he emptied himself. It doesn't mean he emptied himself of his divinity. It means he put on humanity so that he can go to the cross. And he could serve many as, as giving his life as a ransom, like he says here. That's Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7. So Jesus saves, he seeks, he serves. But also, I want you to know the compassion of God through Jesus Christ is that he satisfies And he explains this part of this attribute to the Samaritan woman when he says, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. John 4, verses 13 through 14. If you find your joy and your pleasure in Christ alone, you will never lack joy. Because he came to satisfy, he says it. Furthermore, he says in John 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. He's talking about the fact that he satisfies our souls. But sometimes God will have to put us through suffering, to wean us from the world, to cause us to desire him more than we desire relief from suffering or relief from a bad situation. Because Jesus satisfies, he came for that purpose. And that is demonstrating divine compassion. So in the incarnation, God demonstrates not only faithfulness, but now full compassion by providing a substitute to shed his own blood for you and for me in a substitute that saves, seeks, serves, and satisfies. But I want you to see a third divine attribute here in the person of Jesus Christ, in the incarnation of God the Son, and that is that God is holy. You may ask, Pastor, why didn't God just simply forget about sin? Just let it go. Isn't that what forgiveness is? And the answer is, no, it's not. Someone needs to make sure that sin is paid for. You may ask, why does he have to shed innocent blood to atone for guilty sinners? And the answer to that, church, is because he is holy. And someone who is holy must make sure that sin is punished. The Bible says, in fact, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that we are adulterers at heart. 
if we even look at someone with lust in our eyes. And if you ever done that, then you are considered an adulterer at heart. Jesus also says that if you hated someone in your heart, you are a murderer at heart. You don't have to pull the, the trigger or plunge the knife in somebody's back to be considered a murderer in God's eyes. That's because the bar is so much higher than we think. Jesus, therefore, is that substitute who took the punishment that you and I deserve. He received the full force of divine wrath on your behalf and mine. Listen to Isaiah 53, verse 6. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. In other words, it says, I am going to take care of that problem by becoming one of them. And going on the cross and receiving the full force of divine wrath so that whoever believes in me can go free. He continues in Isaiah 53, 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. So God had to crush his own son so that he wouldn't crush you forever. That's because he's holy. Listen to Christ's words from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27 verse 46. This is not a request for information. Church, he knew exactly the purpose that the Father forsook him temporarily. He, that, he knew the purpose for, for his coming. This is an expression of agony, an articulation of his deep sorrow in his heart to experience divine wrath. The fact that the Father turned his face away from the Son temporarily so that he would turn his face back to you eternally. It's an expression of agony from Christ. But in this expression, we see the holiness of God. But let me talk to you about the last divine attribute for our study today is that God is gracious. And we see that very clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. If he had not pitched his tent among us, which is what the word means when in the prologue of the Gospel of John, when he says the word became flesh, what that word means is that he pitched his tent, he tabernacled among us. If he had not done that, we would have been lost forever. There would have been no hope for you and for me. We would not have Emmanuel, God with us, but we would be characterized by Ichabod. The glory of God has departed from this place, which is what that word means. But thankfully, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, we are told in Romans 5 verse 8. And he came to this earth for this very reason. Paul explains further, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Church, that is grace upon grace upon grace. Unimaginable grace. The fact that we deserve condemnation and God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we can receive the righteousness of God. We are now clothed with the righteousness of God. Not because we are able to do that, but exclusively by the grace of God. Jesus himself said, now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. John 12, verse 27. See, in the moment of agony of Jesus Christ, when the cross is upon him and he is sweating blood because of the agony of his heart that the Father was going to turn his face away from him, also the physical pain. He says, Father, what shall I say? Release me from this hour? No, I came for this very purpose. To receive the punishment that all of these people deserve. And that, church, is divine grace. John agrees. In uh, 1 John 3, verse 5, he says, He appeared in order to take away sins. 
and in him there is no sin. You see, church, every sacrificial lamb that we read about in the Old Testament was but a representation of the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, he takes away because he receives it himself. And the payment is satisfactory there. And in him there is no sin. But God made him who knew no sin. In other words, he bore the full blunt of divine justice and divine judgment for you and for me. And in 1 John 4 verse 9, we we are reminded by this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. So if you are a believer in Christ, my friend, you have been born again. You have eternal life, which happened at the moment you came to faith in Jesus Christ. And we will continue the day you die. Your body is going to go to the grave. But the immaterial part of you will go immediately into the presence of the Lord to be resurrected one day and live forever. There is no soul sleep here. You are immediately ushered into the presence of God to live eternally. And in the meantime, God gets to live in you through Jesus Christ who is in you. Paul says the hope of glory is that Christ is in you. So if you're a believer in Christ, my friend, one among your many blessings is that you have the Son of God, the resurrected Christ, living in you spiritually. His body is in heaven, but spiritually He lives in you, and that's the hope of glory. And that is an indescribable act of grace because we deserve none of it. The question is, have you received Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Son, into your heart as your Savior Have you embraced Him as your substitute, as the one who took your sin? On your behalf, He went to that cross. Because if you haven't, today is a day of salvation, the Bible says. You need to make sure that you are in Christ. On behalf of Pastor Pierre and all of us at Truth With Grace, we pray God's special blessing on your Christmas and hope you and your family will find peace and joy through Christ in the coming new year. Until next time, this is Truth With Grace. Merry Christmas!